Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Aquademia podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. And I'm Justin Grant. And I'm Maddie Cassidy. And we're getting really good at doing this, <laughs> by the way. Um, that felt very natural. I can do it with my eyes closed now. Yeah, me too. Oh, <laughs> fancy. Um, we just finished up a really cool conversation with Denise Gershon, which you will hear in a minute. I want to introduce this next couple episodes because they're all going to be they're going to meld into one. We were going to do a species spotlight episode on tilapia. Turns out that tilapia is a big topic with a lot of stuff that we can talk about. So this is going to be a two-parter. So this is part one of the tilapia species spotlight where we're sitting down with someone who has more passion for this species than anyone I've ever met. Denise is just wildly entertaining and and, a, and just very knowledgeable about, about the species and its history and, and how it works and why people should eat more of it. So we talk about that with her. And then the next episode, we're bringing on Steve Hart to talk about the market and the industry and how it's being affected by recent events. So be on the lookout for that in a couple of weeks. But I really hope you guys enjoy this conversation because it's it was really informative and really we had a lot of fun talking with Denise. So before we get into it, I want to remind everyone that they can contact us directly if they have any specific topics they want us to talk about or species they'd like us to highlight. You can email us at podcast at aquaculturealliance.org. Find us on Twitter at AquademiaPod. Speaking of, I did a poll on Twitter. Did you see that? Yes, I did. Huh? You didn't see it, did you? I'm trying. A plus. I ran a poll on Twitter and I said, do you eat tilapia? Why or why not? And the answers were like, Yes or no. <laughs> or I don't know. You and then know. one was, I've never tried it, but I will. There you go. Or uh, I never tried it and I never will. And I wanted mm. to see what kind of response we get. Now, I don't have a lot of followers. So I got five responses and I think you were one of them. Yep. I think my dad was probably one. And I think maybe Jamie. Yes. Oh. But I got five responses and they all said yes. So every, so according to my poll, 100%, 100% of people eat tilapia. 100% of people everywhere across the world. <laughs> it's Amazing. A, it, that sounds it, like a, 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 the study re, uh, results of studies that are out there now. It's that a good representative things, sample, right? yeah. <laughs> so yeah, do some um, digging. long story short, I'm working on Twitter. I'm getting a little bit better. I'm experimenting a little. Bear with us. I, all of the good tweets that you see coming from Aquademia Pod right now are coming from Maddie, but I'm trying. But you can contact us there. Or if you want to call and leave us a review or comment in a voice message, call us at 1-603-384-3560. It'll take you right to a voicemail, which we can then play on the show sometime. If you like what you're listening to, help us get the word out. And you can do that by leaving a rating and a review. Yeah. Five-star review, please. Yeah, the more positive reviews <laughs> we get, spe specifically on iTunes and Apple Podcasts, I mean, that's really what helps spread the show. I mean, whenever you log into that app and you see all of those, any podcasts that are shown in the browse column, those shows that are there that you see first are there primarily because they have a lot of really good reviews. That is a big driving factor in that. So the more positive reviews we can get on there, the more education we can pump out about seafood to people. So... Yeah, and if you'd like to learn more about aquaculture, if you'd like to get more involved with Global Aquaculture Alliance, or if you just want more full-length interviews, bonus audio content, then we'd love for you to become a member of GAA, and you can do that at aquaculturealliance.org slash membership. Yep. Check it out. Check it out. So get ready to learn up on tilapia. 
Like I said, this conversation is really fun, really informative, and I hope you learned something. And, uh, you know, maybe tilapia will be your gateway fish to try a lot of new things. So with that, let's talk about seafood. Welcome to the Aquademia podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. Sitting down with Denise Gershon, who is, you're in the market development team, correct? Yes, the business development team. What's your official title? (laughs) It's the longest one in the company, fun fact. Fun fact it is. It actually goes for two lines. You're the the Rhode Island of of We had to make special (laughs) business cards for her. We had to adapt the template so that it had a long enough space for her title. Regardless (laughs) of what your title is and how long it is, you are our tilapia expert for this show right now. Denise has a very unique history with tilapia that we're going to just let her roll right into. So go for it. I got into tilapia in a backwards way in the fact that I was supposed to go into Peace Corps and grow trees and they asked me to go and raise tilapia in Cameroon to which my parents said, what's tilapia and what's Cameroon? And you have to remember this was the early 90s. Where is Cameroon? Cameroon's in West Central Africa. Okay. And it was the type of thing that at that point in time in the middle 90s, not a lot of people knew tilapia. And tilapia came onto the scene in the United States, mid 90s, say late 90s, and really kind of took off into 2000. And the reason being that it really took off is that some of the early pioneers made the effort to do the marketing on it. And it was accepted by the Hispanic market, the Asian market, and it took off. And all of a sudden, it was like in every grocery store and on a lot of different menus throughout that's, the United States. It's super interesting. That I'm glad you mentioned that it's it kind of didn't come to the U.S. until around late, late 90s, early 2000s, because I feel like, you know, we didn't eat a lot of fish growing up in my family, but I, I don't remember ever hearing about tilapia or ever eating tilapia. It was always I think mostly haddock that yeah. we would eat. You think for fish white and chips, fish. you think? Haddock, yeah, fish and, sticks, and, haddock. and now it seems like tilapia is just everywhere. And I'm like, why did I not even ever hear of this when I was younger? So that's interesting that you said. It's grown around the world along the equator. And it's a very fragmented business. And the reason why it hasn't taken off really is that it is, there hasn't been one voice for the species. I mean, it's the fourth most consumed seafood in the United States. But the fact of the matter is, I mean, there's, it's grown in 10 different countries or imported from 10 plus different countries. But the reason why it was needed in Cameroon is that we had a limited population and, uh, excuse me, we had a growing population and limited resources. Mm. That's why it was needed in Cameroon. And that's what blows my mind about it today is that it's the same need. It's just on a grander scale. We're going to have over 9 billion people to feed and we're resource limited. So So is that still a common problem in Africa over, I mean, overall Africa, there's an issue with the population growth and lack of resources. Is aquaculture still growing there? Is it a big industry over there? Because, you know, we do work as a global aquaculture 
Alliance, we do work all over the globe. We don't seem to be seeing a lot of stuff coming out of Africa, at least from a BAP perspective. So I'm just curious if you know, is that not a very big industry in Africa right now or is it bigger than we think? We just don't hear about it. Egypt is a major producer of the product. Okay. But- 99% 99% of it is eaten domestically, mm-hmm. okay? It's yeah. just the type mm-hmm. of thing that the you have China, you have Indonesia for major producers, you have Egypt, and then you go into Latin America and the like in Brazil mm-hmm. and South America. But the fact of the matter is the Egyptians produce a tremendous amount, but they consume a lot also. And in terms of other areas in Africa, There's a lot of Chinese investment going into Africa right now because the Chinese are limited in their resources, so they're doing a lot of investment in Africa. So it will be interesting to see, but the fact of the matter is if they're growing a protein, they need that protein there. Right. Mm. Okay. So let's put off the stuff about the marketplace for now Okay. because this is going to be a two-part episode. Yes. We are going to talk about you are living in the marketplace right now with, sure. with your job. So you you have some good insight on that. But we also are going to have Steve Hart on the next second part of this Species Spotlight episode to talk about more specifically the Asian markets and how some of the changes in the laws are, are going to be affecting that. So we'll get into the market in a little bit, but let's back up and okay. let's talk about the fish. Let's talk mm-hmm. about tilapia. Where did it come from? Why are people growing it? We went into a little bit of that. How has it grown and why why should people be eating it? And why tilapia? Why wasn't it a, a different species that kind of blew yeah, up yeah. in that period of time? Yeah. Um, really good questions. Okay. So. <laughs> we got her. St. <laughs> <laughs> Peter's fish. It was also known as St. Peter's fish. It was called Nile fish, and it did come from Africa. Okay. And it was the type of thing that the reason why it took off was that feeds really had changed over the years. And it was the type of thing that aquaculture husbandry has changed tremendously over the years. And it got more sophisticated. And the food conversion ratios, which also played into it and the like, and people made it profitable. And once people see that, hey, if you feed it, it will grow. And if, (laughs) no, it sounds silly, but, and it's the type of thing that we're not going to be able to feed 9 billion people with something that has a very high food conversion ratio or takes up a lot of water or land. So for listeners that might not be familiar with the term food conversion ratio, it's basically how much food it takes for one animal to create a pound of fish. So basically if you were to feed, if you had a pound of food. So if you were to feed a fish, if they had, say a fish had a food conversion ratio, ratio of two to one, it would take two pounds of food for that fish to grow one pound, basically. Of edible food, yes. Of edible food. So that's so you're looking for your feed conversion ratio to be as small as possible mm-hmm. to be efficient. So tilapia has a very low FCR. Yes, true and story. And there are some infographics that we have on the GAA website that kind of talk about comparing seafood to land-based proteins and kind of looking at that FCR, food conversion ratio. Yeah, of how it's crazy. Many the FCR for were... cows for beef is like 34 to 1 or something crazy, isn't it? Mm. Like... It's not that high, but... <laughs> I know, but we exaggerate oh. for dramatic effects. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Seafood, seafood! <laughs> oh. Okay. Cool. So that's why it's being grown. So why should people be eating tilapia? I mean, why is this a good choice? There's a lot of... You have uh, a lot of choices out there. There's a lot of why, choices. Why yeah. when you're walking? Okay. That one's easy because it is a white, mild fish that's high in protein, low in fat, 
that will take on any flavor that you decide to spice it with. And it is fast. I mean, it's a thin white fish that you can cook in five minutes. And the most important piece of that, not to steal your thunder, okay. is price. Yeah. Yes. So if for someone who's looking for an expen- uh, something to try something new that's not overly fishy, not fishy at all, by the way, it is a, an amazing fish. It's the tofu of whitefish. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not honestly. quite that, that yeah. lacking of flavor. But like you said, it takes on whatever you're cooking it with. Mm-hmm. But it's at a really reasonable price. And that's one, probably one of the main reasons that it just kind of took off. Um, you want to do a of the fish taco, you can do a fish taco. You mm-hmm. want to saute it, you can saute it. You want to put... Chimichurri? Yeah. No, that was the <laughs> trout. <laughs> but you probably could. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, be on the lookout in the show notes for a link to the toaster oven tilapia recipe from Barton Seaver that we did. Well, and I think growing up as a kid in the 80s and we had when we had fish, it was, it was haddock. Mm-hmm. And whether it was in the form of a fish stick or a filet, um, it... <laughs> Tilapia reminds me. Finger quote filet. <laughs> yeah, filet. It has that mild. Tilapia is very comparable. And it's a, definitely a good choice if you're thinking for sustainability, given that it's farm raised and, and it has good. We were talking about FCR conversions and, and price. So it's a win win for a lot of consumers. And it's an easily digestible protein, such that if you're trying to have a child have a first protein, you can cook it, you can just meld it, and, you know, it's the type of thing that it's an easy first protein. I've tried to get my kid to eat fish. <laughs> Didn't go. Fish, shrimp, anything, seafood, and she just doesn't eat anything. She won't even eat chicken nuggets, so. <laughs> she only eats chili. I don't, she eats chili is the only thing we can get in it, yeah. She'll throw in some tilapia chunks in the chili and see Yeah, maybe happens. we'll make fish. My daughter fish will do raw <laughs> oysters, and the thing that's funny about that is you don't want your child eating raw oysters, because that can get really expensive yeah. quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's why I'm glad my wife does not like the taste of lobster. I was like, fine, you're a cheap date. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I'm going to have the steak and the lobster. <laughs> so I have a question for you. Go. So we talked about the benefits of tilapia, but some of our con- listeners may be questioning some headlines that are in the news regarding like how these fish are being raised. Is uh, I mean, is there some misconceptions that are out there and how can we... You how knew can this we, was coming. Yeah, oh, I, yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 how I know we, that's okay. How can we in this show kind of talk about those misconceptions and to go a step further, once we demystify some of these myths, what yes. can yeah. consumers look for to know that they're buying tilapia that doesn't follow some of these practices that you'll probably talk about that do exist most likely aren't going to make their way into the supermarkets but let's talk about that before we get into the weeds on that because this okay. that could be a that's rabbit a really hole. yeah i'm wondering if you have an idea of how tilapia became kind of the poster child for some of this these fear-mongering headlines and stuff that's i true. feel like it's almost always tilapia that you hear yeah. about you know like when it comes to chicken you you know the mcdonald's chicken mcnuggets are the poster child for kind of poor practices and food safety issues and stuff like that, the fear-mongering articles. And with seafood, it seems like it tends to be tilapia more than anyone else. Do you have any input on how that kind of happened or why or an opinion? My opinion yeah. is that it's probably the one fish that gave competition to the other the other meats, yeah. to be honest with you. I look at it as it was something that could be grown in a sustainable manner and it could take off 
I mean, we used to call it the uber fish because the fact of the matter is for all those attributes, you know, the mild flavor and everything and the like, it was just something. And because of the, you know, the way it was raised and the time frame that it took to raise it and the like, it took off and it was accepted worldwide. I mean, it was, you know, it's the type of thing. It doesn't matter whether it's Africa or Latin America or South America or the U.S. But to your question, you had asked, why has it been kind of the poster child for like the negative press and the like? I think it was just the type of thing that people focus in on something new and they go for the shock value of the headline. And I'm sure there's some validity to some of those headlines early on. So. Mm-hmm. I guess, you know, maybe there's a single case where that resulted in a bad headline and then it just snowballed from there, I imagine. so it, It's the first thing. If people hear something shocking, that's what they believe, yeah. whether it's true or not. Yeah, those tend to stick with you more than the positive yeah, headlines. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So I was just curious about how that... How, how one specific species tends to, there's one specific product really. I think it tends was. Tends to fall into place in that. And I think it was fragmented, and I don't think that they had one voice. Yeah. And I think that when you have that combination, it's very easy for people to jump on board and kind of knock one another out, unfortunately. And it seems like from what you're saying, a lot of the producers early on were smaller producers and they didn't have as much of a voice within the industry, let alone within the world of consumers. So when you're an underdog, when you're a small producer, you have even less of a voice to be able to fight back against these things. So, And they weren't marketers. They were right. truly farmers. Right. They exactly. were people who were farmers who wanted to grow a protein and sell it. And yeah. when they, something grows so fast, I mean, we've seen it here in, in this company. I mean, when I started working here four years ago, like four and a half years ago, there were less than 20 employees and now we're over 50 in a few years. Like we grew very quickly and we missed a lot of things in that growth and there was a lot of growing pains and and issues, stuff that we're still trying to wrap up. And that's what happens when you get these small little groups of people who are very good at one thing, growing fish and they it blows up. They're not, they're not that equipped. industry is not equipped or prepared to face some of these things that are coming at them. And think about when tilapia grew up, internet age. Yep. Mm. Chicken didn't grow up in the internet age. Beef mm. didn't grow up in the internet That's age. That's a really good point. Tilapia grew up in the internet age. And it was the type of thing that social media, once it took off, it took off. Mm. And it was the type of thing that tilapia was focused on, and I'm using tilapia in the bigger terms, but... It was the type of thing that all of a sudden you introduced this, the internet to it and the scrutiny that it was under. And yeah, there were growing pains and, you know, you can't police the world. But the fact of the matter is you're going to have some really great producers who produce a really nice product and trying to differentiate them in the marketplace is very difficult. Yeah. And I see this starting to happen. I, that's a really good point of the the growing up in the internet age and this is a completely different topic and something that we will tackle at some point but the gmo salmon is going to go through this same thing and you're you're seeing it start to happen now it's not growing at the rate that tilapia did but it is coming out in the internet age and you're already seeing these types of things happen so that's really interesting you know didn't maybe it did happen back when chicken started getting big who knows chicken took off because we had uh people coming back from the war and we had to feed them we had a huge population coming back the baby boomers and the like 
And they had to all of a sudden chicken really kind of took off in the, you know, the late 40s, 50s. And that's why there's a rationale behind that. You know, you get a growing population and humans are really innovative and they will find solutions. And that was the solution to that issue. And, you know, to your point, tilapia just, you know, I mean, the press kind of focused in on it. It had rapid growth and... It was the internet and people were focused on getting the product to market without focusing on the image per se because Mm. it was so fragmented. Maybe tilapia is actually the chicken of the sea, not tuna. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) The size comparison is definitely closer. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'll say that. So let's talk about some of these. Okay. Some of these. headlines and misconceptions that we see out there do you have do you know of some off the top of your head that you want to throw some at me why not let me do what's the biggest one tilapia is worse for you than bacon yeah i would say that one i've had relatives that mentioned that one to me because yeah. because i work for global aquaculture alliance i think i'm a Don't seafood you expert love that you'll be at a cookout and somebody comes up to you and says that to you and you're just like oh okay and usually you know i'm eating I... sticks of bacon in my hands at the time <laughs> 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 Justin's got a mouthful of bacon. What'd you say? (laughs) (laughs) You don't like like the bacon on my burger? Wait a minute. What was interesting about that one was I was a buyer at the time. It was a um, Wake Forest study that came out. And what they were doing is they were comparing the omega-6s to the omega-3s. Okay. What everybody lost in all of that is that the Harvard Medical School literally came out with the response to that. And the fact of the matter is nobody heard the response. Everybody just heard it's worse than bacon. And here we are 11 years later trying to demystify a myth. And if you would let me just read the last line, and this is from the Harvard Medical School. Please do. Um, Loud and proud. (laughs) Loud and proud, I will say. And since tilapia is also an excellent source of protein and low in saturated fat and is rich in trace minerals, even and low omega-3 fish is a good choice for dinner. So the fact of the matter is, yes, it may be a bit higher in the omega-6s, but it's still a good choice for dinner. And that's what got lost. And it was so infuriating to me. And it was just the type of thing that here you are, you've got a high protein, low fat option that's reasonably priced and you look at it and one study that came out because it had higher omega-6s than omega-3s and Harvard Medical School published a rebuttal to this to the study and said it's a good choice for dinner. And nobody remembers that. Nope, they remember the sexy headline that made them scared and they shared it with their friends. And then they seemed like the, I'm saving your life by telling you not to, mm. not Italia. to eat this. And they mm-hmm. made it into a nice little image with a dirty fish and text over it and spread like wildfire. I mean, yeah. Well, here's, an, here's another news flash there are sugars in fruit. Does that mean you should not eat? Fruit? Yeah, fruit mm. is worse for you than pixie sticks. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Let's see if we can get that to go viral. <laughs> um, so that that's one big one. And we're going to link to this Harvard. Uh, yeah, the flap over tilapia study. sends the wrong message. Yeah, so we'll, we'll link to that in the show notes for mm-hmm. sure. And um, the other one that I see a lot is the whole fish eating poop article. Okay. That, that tilapia are raised on chicken poop Mm -hmm. which i mean i see that a lot and that's literally all you see is that don't eat tilapia because 
when they're they're raised in filthy farms that feed them chicken poop. So can you take <laughs> okay, that and Okay, there is a difference <laughs> between mom and pop farming, okay, mm-hmm. and industrial farming, okay? And the word industrial is not a bad word. It just means that it's pelleted feed and it's controlled, okay? The chicken poop myth, does it exist? Yes, but those are mom and pop operations. They are not looking. It's, you know, people who use organic fertilizer on their tomatoes. That's They're not n- the ones selling their fish to supermarkets that you that most of our listeners are going to find when they buy tilapia. Exactly. And it's the type of thing that, okay, there's nitrogen, there's phosphorus in that poop. And the fact of the matter is that creates a f- an environment that grows phytoplankton that the tilapia eat. Great. Okay, that's why we grew it in Africa, because you didn't have to buy the pelleted feed. You could actually grow the phytoplankton utilizing the chicken poop and have them eat it. But the fact of the matter is, that's not what you're finding on your plate when you're going into the grocery store and buying something that has been fed a pelleted feed. So how, and maybe I'm jumping the gun here. Okay. How can consumers believe what we're saying is there is when they're shopping and they're picking up a bag of tilapia how can they just say well on aquademia they said that this this fillet this fish wasn't eating chicken poop are there things that they can look for on the packaging that would guarantee that they're not so i would say this i don't know i i do know i do know the answer (laughs) i do know the answer (laughs) they can look for the best aquaculture seal the best aquaculture practice seal are there other seals Yeah, there are. Aquaculture Stewardship Council, they can look for Global Gap. They can look for, you know, BRC, which is a food safety and the like. But what I like about the best aquaculture practices as a buyer, as a former buyer, I mean, I used to buy 20 million pounds of this at one point in time. (laughs) It was the type of thing that I came into the industry and there weren't really certifications for product, okay? And all of a sudden, you had somebody who was a certification council that was looking and saying, yes, guess what? From a food safety, sustainability, social, and animal welfare standpoint, we can tell you that you're buying from the right people. Okay, you know what? As a mom, guess what? I want to be able to know that there's something behind what I'm buying. Because the fact of the matter is, aquaculture is done around the globe. It's not done a lot in the United States. The United yep, States is at a right. disadvantage. Yeah. Permitting is very difficult. Electricity yep. is very expensive. Labor is very expensive. And it's the type of thing. So it does go into these other areas. Plus, they're warm and they're the right environment. And it works. But, you, you know, as a buyer, I could only go overseas so many times a year. I can only have my staff go in and out of these facilities so many times a year. But if you've got some uh, certification and also the rights, checks, and balances, then it gives you the peace of mind that you're buying the it, right yep. product. It comes with assurances. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And so right back to it. I mean, every episode, people are going to get so sick of us saying this. Just look for the ego labels. Like, I know. That's a, what it comes yeah. back to every time. Really, it's an easy button. Yeah. I mean, if you have questions, if, if you have questions about this, just look for something that has an eco label. It's it's a it's an easy button. But the and eco not labels, just the word natural. Like we always yeah. say, came to fruition through what the marketplace and consumers were asking for. They want to be able to quickly notice something on a package, feel assured, and then throw it in the shopping cart. 
Right, And that's yeah. a way that you can accomplish that. And that's I go a- shopping with two kids hanging off my legs and... I go to my go-tos, but if I'm willing to make the gamble because my kids are going to be okay for five extra minutes and I want to try something new, I'll look at the packaging and look for specific labels. And if it meets my what I'm looking for, then there it goes in the cart and off we go. I want to back up to something that you said a couple minutes ago that really stuck with me that I think is going to be really helpful and important for our listeners. And that is when you said that the word industrial is not a bad word. Um, that it, that really resonated with me because I, I you know I think about there's a lot of psychology that goes around tilapia. Yes, like you said, they were not prepared. The tilapia industry was not prepared to create a specific image of the fish when it came up, and it got away from them. So there's a lot of psychology around how people think about tilapia and fish in general, and big business in general. And when it comes to supplying a large population with food, it needs to be industrialized and it needs to be grown on a large scale. It's the only way that we will survive as a species (laughs) is to produce food, whether that's agriculture or land-based proteins or ocean-based proteins. It needs to be done on a large scale. And I think when people think of large-scale farming or large-scale industry, you know, they think of this dystopian future where it's just the whole world is covered in smog and, and the, yeah, big cor- smoke the, pipes the big and- corporations are just keeping keeping the little man down. And, you know, that's, I think it's important to talk about that. That's not the intention of this kind of thing. I mean, I'm really glad you said that. No, there's controls that are in place. I mean, they want their wallet equality to stay such that the animals are not stressed. I mean, animals that are stressed don't grow well. So they want to have good water quality. They want to use, you know, minimal impact to the environment and the like because they don't want to stress the animals. I mean, what's good husbandry and works not only for the animal for their growth, but also for just a best practice. Yeah. And also these larger companies, these industrial companies that are producing these on such a large scale, they are the ones that have the money to do things right and ultimately create a better, safer, healthier product. They can afford to have the best practices and get and achieve these eco labels because, you know, you might think that, oh, the best thing is to get the small mom and pop farm that, yeah, you're supposed supporting that family but you know maybe they're not feeding very good food to the fish and the fish are stressed and they're loading up their cages or tanks or ponds or however they're raising them with too many fish and and it's stressful because they're trying to pinch every penny that they can out of their little farm so you know you need to think of it from the standpoint of these big industrial farms they have the resources and the money to put into creating a good healthy product as good and healthy as they can make. And I will say I had, I'm going to give credit to an old boss that I had. So his vision, and I agree with it. I think that at some point in time, with any luck, we will get to a point where it's like a microbrewery that you have small recirculating tanks at, you know, at your local farm stand and they're doing hydroponics and they're utilizing fish and the like. And it's the type of thing that that would be the ultimate. You know, is that you'd have, you know, an area, you know, your city would be known for a particular species or something like that because of your climate and the like. But right now, to your point, I do agree with you that, you know, the larger companies do have the oversight and they do have the capability to make sure that the food safety and the correct steps are being done and monitored. The microbrewery 
That's a hard word to say. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I think the microbrewery mentality is something that would work well in the U.S. Yeah, I <laughs> love that visual. I feel like yeah. that aesthetic and the psychology behind that is what would work mm -hmm. in, in the U.S. I mm -hmm. think from a corporate standpoint, corporations are kind of running this country in, in certain ways. And I think for, they would prefer to see a more industrialized way of things from that aspect. But I think when we're talking about consumers and what consumers want in the U.S., I think that model would work really well. I don't know how fast that would happen. Oh, um, I think it's the future. I mean, I think that like it's a, you yeah, know, it's if a, you don't have a, you know, a dream, you'll you never need achieve to build it. it. You need, you know? It's something that you need to build and, you, oh, gosh, and we yeah. need a lot of people to work on. But I think people in the U.S. specifically would be a lot more inclined to buy farmed fish if they know, okay, this was done by a, a small group of people in my town that's local. And even though it's farmed and not wild cut, you know, I trust this guy because he's here selling it to me on the green in the park of my city. But it may not be as cost effective also. Exactly. I mean, and yeah. that's the type of thing. And that's why I like tilapia. Like you said it early in this broadcast, you know, I'm not going to take away your thunder. But the fact of the matter is it is a reasonably priced mm -hmm. fish. Mm -hmm. And so much of the seafood these days goes to the white tablecloth market. Mm -hmm. Tilapia yeah. is for the masses. You know, it really is. And it's because it's so versatile and it's fast and all of those good things. But it's also reasonably priced. And what I don't want to have happen is, you know, as my daughter grows up, I don't want seafood to become something that is only for the elite. You know, I want it to be for everyone. Exactly. I think that's the marketing push for tilapia right there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, you should just be the spokeswoman for tilapia. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, what else? What else did you want to get out there? What else can I mention? We're, we're doing a full spotlight on this species, so yeah, let's, everything uh, you want to get out. You know, we want to make consumers more comfortable buying and eating tilapia. So let's tell them all about it. All right, so a four ounce piece of tilapia is twenty grams of protein, one gram of fat, and very low in sodium. I do think the Tilapia is going to grow in the coming years. I think we're, we've got constraints in the U.S. due to tariffs and the like, but the fact of the matter is there's a lot going on with different value-added products. They're doing a lot in terms of the genetics and hybrids, and I think polyculture is going to be really kind of neat in the future. Mm -hmm. Can you explain that for listeners who might not know what that is? What, what polyculture, polyculture is? is? Um, polyculture is when you grow multiple species in the same area. So you may have your shrimp and your tilapia and the like and they benefit from one another and it's the type of thing that you know as the science evolves you got to remember this is still a relatively new industry mm -hmm. i mean it's the type of thing that you know i went to i did my masters in and uh, not in tilapia but my in aquaculture and it was the type of thing that they kept saying oh you know where where the chicken was in the 1950s just give it time and i think that you know because of the bad press and the like and just dynamics in the United States. I think it's been difficult for aquaculture to grow, but I think it will grow, and especially worldwide. I mean, I think that the U.S. is a little foolish in that. Because if you look at, you know, the Egyptians eat it, the Brazilians eat it, Mexico, Colombia, Honduras, Egypt, Philippines, Vietnam, Indonesia, and China. Is it grown in the U.S.? There's a company on the West Coast that does hybrid striped bass, and they do a little bit of polyculture with it. Okay. And that 
I believe goes into a live market, and I might be wrong about it, but uh, Dirty Jobs did a... Do you remember that show? Oh, yeah. I Mike Rowe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike Rowe. Dirty Jobs yeah, yeah, yeah. Went to Kent Sea Farms out in the West Coast, and there was tilapia that was being grown in, with the hybrid striped bass. Mike, what if you're listening, using, yeah. we would love to have you on the show. <laughs> <laughs> we're big fans. What type of farm facility was it that they're raising these fish in? Was it like It was a, an aquaculture facility for hybrid striped bass. But was it... Uh, Indoors, indoor raceways, pens. Oh, God, I have to remember the show. I think that it was raceways and it was a primarily outdoor facility. Yeah, flow through. Yep. Cool. It's weird the questions that now that I'm in the industry like, yeah. that I actually <laughs> ask. You know, three years mm-hmm. ago, it would have been like a race what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and there's very different, and that's the thing. Like Monterey Bay Aquarium, the Seafood Watch, depending on how the fish is raised, mm-hmm. because you can have it cage raised, you can have it raised in a raceway, you can have pond raised and yep. the like. They give it different ratings. So they do best, good, and then they say avoid. And it just depends on the practices that are used. Yep. The thing that's difficult about that is that they'll group a country all together rather than a producer. And I think that, you know, there are really good producers in different areas that may not have, you know, there's good producers in China. But the fact of the matter is, it's just, it's difficult when you've got a body that so many people go to, to for their education, that says, you know, that's bad. Well, yeah. you mm-hmm. know what, you got to look at the specific it's a little producer. nuanced. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Just yeah. a little bit. The entire country of China. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned that, you know, seafood, the seafood industry is kind of where chicken was in the 50s. And I wonder if it, if some of this has to do with the variation in price and confusion. I mean, because when you're selling chicken, you're selling just chicken. When you're selling seafood, you're selling hundreds of different edible species some are in shells, some are swimming. and, and It's like it's, fruit. It's, it's much more like fruit than it is mm. meat mm-hmm. and chicken in that regard. Because so just it's, eat pixie sticks. It's, <laughs> it is. No, but it's like what's good for the apple industry doesn't mean as good for the banana industry. And yeah. they're so different. Like mm-hmm. an apple, you can't say an apple orchard in you know, New England has the same regulations as the banana grower in Costa Rica. And that's what's so difficult about it is trying to get that one voice and i think because it is so fragmented trying to get people to understand well it depends on the producer they're like well wait a minute i just want to be able to eat seafood and feel good about it and you know what it's the american heart association really says you know twice a week you should be eating seafood but then somebody will come out with a market scare or something will come up Mm -hmm. in the news and people get scared and they just say i'm not going to eat seafood at all to your point they don't say i'm not going to eat any fruit they just you know will change Mm -hmm. different habits and i think that that's the only comparison i can make does that make sense? That's a fantastic analogy yeah that makes it really easy to understand for someone that doesn't understand how much there is to the seafood industry and it's it makes the point so clear that it's so strange that people can write off the entire seafood industry mm. com- when you compare it to fruit. Like, if I don't like strawberries, I'm not going to say I'm never going to eat fruit ever again because they use pesticides on strawberries. Right. And I don't think people actually 
do that. I mean, if you think, if say there's a video that goes viral, like a Snapchat video that goes viral of a salmon filet that has like a worm in the packaging. It's happened. Mm-hmm. It happened a couple of years ago. I remember seeing that. Someone took a video of a packaging in a grocery store with a little worm moving around in there. Okay. It's disgusting. <laughs> um, and I'm sure there were tons of people that were like, I'm never eating seafood again. That's just, just gross. And then two weeks later, you know, you're in Maine and you get a lobster dinner. You're not going to say, oh, I'm not going to eat this lobster because I saw a worm in a video of a salmon filet. I think people are very quick to write off the entire group of food known as seafood, but it's just words. I don't mm-hmm. think... It's selective. Yeah. I, I, you know, they might be a little more weary next time they see a salmon filet, but... But there's so many choices in the world. Like, the, you go into the grocery store and you have so many different choices and what you want people to do is not have that hesitation at all. Yeah. You want mm-hmm. them to feel good about what they're buying. You want them to feel like, hey, you know what? I'm making an educated choice and I'm making the right choice for me and my family and I don't have to think about any backstory to it. And I think that's where certification really comes in is that it's just, hey, guess what? We've done the homework for you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Easy button. Nothing's going to happen overnight and we say that all the time on the show and I think, you know, I have a family of, well, two kids and a wife. What is that? Four? That's a family. (laughs) Family family four and we tend to eat (laughs) Things that I grew up on and what my wife grew up on. And that was, you know, not as much seafood and a lot of the chicken and steak because that's what we're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And the trick here is trying to get people now, especially even younger kids or the younger generation to understand the benefits of seafood, to try it, to like it or find that niche in the of seafood eat it to be comfortable with it and then when they get older and have their own families that that finds its way on the dinner table amongst all the other chickens and and, yeah. and, and pork and things of that nature and then we won't be having these conversations of how do we get people to eat more seafood it's how do we now get people to only eat responsibly sourced pork chicken seafood and yeah for sure beef and that's uh, that's cultural i mean there are kids in other countries grow up eating fish it's that's true i'm definitely diet. generalizing to like you know, the united states we grew up in northeastern united states and i didn't grow up eating a lot of fish you didn't grow up eating a lot of fish but i did <laughs> but <laughs> it was flounder did. and the like and it was like special to get a lobster and exactly. you know that's, and yep, that that's was like the type was. of thing yep. the that mentality that we see the most in the u.s is that seafood is a luxury yeah and it's something that you eat when you're on vacation or you're yeah. treating yourself or you you know you're at a fancy restaurant or you decide to have one fancy dinner that i'm gonna make tonight i'm gonna dedicate my whole evening to making this big fancy dinner so we're gonna get fish where you can just go and get some tilapia fillets you know whole big bag of fillet frozen tilapia (laughs) a whole I've never heard of that species (laughs) a whole big bag of frozen tilapia fillets for like six and a half bucks and they cook within five minutes and you got a full meal Mm -hmm. it's just as easy as chicken cutlets so it's a no brainer like I said it's all psychology right now this, the state that the industry is in of all seafood is heavily based in psychology, especially in the U.S. So that's what we need to start working towards. And that's why I think a lot of social media campaigns from groups like us, like GAA and some other groups, are, is going to be super beneficial. It's kind of yeah. the only way to break in to people's brains right now that I see. Mm-hmm. Off my soapbox. <laughs> it's a high-protein, low-fat, white, mild fish that is fast to cook and I don't know when it will take off, but I know it will take off. 
I agree. I consider tilapia to be like an entry-level fish for people. Absolutely. Mm. That's, I think, the way to look at it. Like, we always tell everyone, just eat more fish. Eat more seafood. Don't care what it is. Wild caught, farmed, just eat more fish. If you are not comfortable buying and preparing and eating fish and you want something easy to start with, just get tilapia. It's a simple starter fish. Gateway fish. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> That'll, mm. It'll open up the floodgates and, and make you want to try other things. But it's an easy way to start. You know, another important piece about that too is is the name because granted it is everywhere because it is there are a lot of people that are eating it and so you can buy it and that's why it's relatively inexpensive. But people who are willing to eat seafood go to the types that they're comfortable with and those mm-hmm. would be salmon, cod, cod, haddock. But tilapia, given that it's not a household name of fish, yet tastes great like you said it could be that gateway because people are trying a fish name that they're not overly comfortable or familiar not with. familiar with and to try it and to like it then would open them up to trying other fish yeah or shellfish that have a name that they're not familiar with that they may end up liking as well so yeah thought i'd throw exactly. that in there anything else you want to get out there about tilapia no i appreciate that you guys gave me the mic this is pretty cool thank you we were super happy to have you on and like i said this is just part one of part two so this was intro to tilapia basically (laughs) and then the next one we're gonna get i don't want to say we're gonna get political but we're gonna be talking about the markets and there's some shake-up going on in the markets right now absolutely with some of these new tariffs and, and stuff that has been imposed on specifically china because a lot of the we're gonna talk about that because a lot of the tilapia that's coming into the u.s is coming from china so mm-hmm. we're going to have Steve Hart on. He is our marketplace development person. Uh, he's dealing with the Asian markets. Yep. And so he knows everything that's going on in the Asian markets. And he's going to have some really interesting information for us. So make sure you tune in in a couple weeks for part two of Tilapia Species Spotlight. And any of our listeners, if you really enjoyed this species spotlight episode please if you haven't already check out our first species spotlight which was on mussels which Mm -hmm. is another healthy seafood option um that's relatively inexpensive to buy yeah and down the road we'll do more we're going to probably do species spotlight on some of the other big ones like salmon yep uh we'll do one on probably cod or haddock you know a wild caught species and then we'll hit some crustaceans down the road too yeah i'd love to do an episode on lobster just so we can eat some lobster (laughs) while we do the episode (laughs) that's so many mouth noises to edit out (laughs) yeah i'm I'm, I'm sorry ahead of time sean No, but if, if you like this format and you have other species that you'd want to hear us do a spotlight on, please let us know. Email us at podcast at aquaculturealliance.org. Find us on Twitter at AquademiaPod or leave us a voicemail at 1-603-384-3560. And make sure that you remember to leave us ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you listen. And if you'd like to hear more full-length interviews, bonus audio content, then make sure to be Become a member of GAA at aquaculturealliance.org slash membership. All right, Denise, thank you so much again for joining us. Thank you for doing this. Again, sitting down with Denise Gershon to talk about tilapia. She is the most passionate person I've ever heard when it comes to tilapia. (laughs) You sold it for me. I'm probably going to eat some this week. I (laughs) think I'm going to go to the grocery store after work If people want to contact you or learn more and and have some questions for you directly, where can they get in contact with you? They can email me directly. Yeah, and we'll put Denise's email address in the show notes so everyone has that. 
All right. Well, that's that. If you guys don't have anything else, I'm good. All right. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.